Welcome to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness, get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the emergency management department in the city that never sleeps, here are your hosts, Omar Bourne and Allison Panisi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I am Omar Bourne. And I'm Nancy Silvestri. And you are our listeners. And as always, we thank you for joining us. We want you to come back as often as you can. So feel free to add Prep Talk to your favorite RSS feed. You can also follow us on social media on Twitter at NYC Emergency MGT, Facebook, or the Gram. On this episode of Prep Talk, we're chatting with Joshua Friedman, Executive Director for Geographic Information Systems here at New York City Emergency Management. That's right. We're talking about maps, specifically how professionals in the emergency management field use maps in emergencies. But before we dive in, you know what time it is. Let us get you updated on the latest news in the emergency management field. Here's your Prep Talk Situation Report. This is the Situation Report. Let's get started. Thank you very much, Nancy. So on today's show, as I mentioned, we're talking about GIS and mapping. So I came across this article on GISuser.com. Full disclosure, Nance, I did not know such a site existed until (laughs) I started doing research for this episode. But I digress. Uh, There was an interesting article about a new night map feature to support campus safety and security. So basically, Concept3D, which uses 3D modeling, interactive maps, and VR-enabled virtual tour software to create online experiences, came up with this new concept. (laughs) I guess they're Concept3D, so a new concept. Um, So the new night map feature, uh, which was actually launched earlier in... August makes it easy to find the best well-lit walking routes on a campus. So the interactive mapping platform is also used by hundreds of major universities, colleges, and schools, as well as convention centers, hospitals, resorts, you name it. You can check it out on GISuser.com for more information, but this is a great example of how mapping can be used insecurity and just by everyday people and i like the fact that it is a a night map and it really helps people uh as they're going about their business uh to make sure they're safe and secure so i thought that was an interesting story and another area where maps are critical flood predictions Mm. looking for some real-time flood predictions there's now going to be a map for that university of kansas professors helped develop a new floodplain mapping model that allows emergency managers to view real-time, wide-area predictions for floodwater extent and depth. Flooding estimates are crucial for emergency managers to have enough situational awareness quickly to get the right resources to flooded communities. The new model, coming out of Kansas, is called Floodplain, and it maps potential flooding as a function of stage height using basic hydrologic principles and gridded elevation data. Because the approach requires few inputs and supervision, it has significant advantages for real-time mapping. The model is also a simpler approach than the current hydrodynamic models that are used by FEMA. Moving from Kansas to the great state of Texas, uh, and this is from Texas A&M University, they recently hosted their second annual Animal Emergency Management Summit 
giving emergency managers and those who work closely with animals an opportunity to discuss how they can work together in disasters. The summit was started following the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey in Texas. The Category 4 hurricane not only affected communities, but also impacted pets and animals, both domesticated and wild. So the summit basically brings together veterinarians, veterinary technicians, animal control officers, emergency managers, you name it. They bring them together to develop plans for animals and response plans for animal needs during disasters. So for our listeners, if you need more information about this story, you can check it out at kagstv.com. That's where we got the story from. kagstv.com. We always love to say that pets are part of the family. So uh, I think this is a, a great step into trying to include them in the emergency planning operations. That's right. We can't forget about our furry friends. No, you can't. And now moving on to our friends out on the West Coast, the Emergency Management Division of Astoria, Oregon, is in its final phases of its tsunami wayfinding project, which is an effort to create evacuation routes to guide people to higher ground after a tsunami. Clatsop County Emergency Managers began the initiative following survey findings that residents were not prepared and evacuation route signs were not sufficient. The first phase of the project consisted of community preparedness. The State Department of Geology and Mineral Industries worked with local communities to develop maps and brochures that included evacuation routes. County officials are continuing to work on placing more signs to ensure the safety of the community. So another great initiative. Yeah, and it reminds me of the a similar initiative that we have here in New York City that we introduced a couple of years ago where we have hurricane evacuation signs that lead people to higher ground, especially in the coastal areas. So it's good to see that um, other jurisdictions are, are doing this as well. I don't know about the rest of our emergency management friends, but some of us get very excited when we see coastal evacuation signs. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I'm driving around sometimes like, ah, oh, there's one of our signs. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> And that is the Situation Report. Still to come, we will be talking with Josh Friedman, a GIS guru in the emergency management field. But first, here is a public service announcement from NYC Emergency Management and the Ad Council. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When hurricane winds are gusting? When floodwaters reach your door? Or a blizzard blocks all the roads? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Make your emergency plan today. Go to nyc.gov slash readyny or call 311. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. You're listening to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. You are listening to Prep Talk and we are back. Joining us in the studio today is Josh Friedman, the Executive Director for GIS here at New York City Emergency Management. Josh, thank you for joining us. That's great to be here. Thank you. So, Josh, let's start with the basic. Uh, what exactly is GIS? So, GIS stands for Geographic Information Systems. I'd say a lot of people associate it with simply making maps. Really, the production of maps is cartography, the science of cartography. Um, if you want to think about what a GIS really means, a geographic information system would be any type of system 
that is used for the management, display, and analysis of what we refer to as geospatial data. Mm-hmm. And really, that's not as complicated a concept as it might sound like. Think about any piece of information you have. I could write down my name on a piece of paper. That's a piece of information about who I am. Mm-hmm. If I add one thing, and that's some thing to tie it to a particular location on the earth, whether it's uh, an address, a latitude, longitude, anything that would allow us to map that data, that then becomes geospatial data. So mm-hmm. my name and my address means that I'm now tied to a particular place, in this case, my apartment right. in New York City. Um, and so a GIS in general really is the science and the field of obtaining producing and working with all these types of data. And for everyday people, um, what does that mean for them? Where would they more likely see this kind of GIS mapping? Sure. So I think these days, the example that I usually use most commonly is Google Maps. So almost all of us, whether it's Google or some other app, We have our phones with us. We need to find where to go, the best route, the best slice of pizza that we want to get to. (laughs) And we have a geographic information system on our phone. The folks at Google, the very smart folks behind the scenes, have um, created a system where they have map data. They have what we might call network data, so streets and and highways and Mm -hmm. things. And I can put it in my address and, and the address of somewhere I want to go, and it will tell me how to get there. Um, these things are a lot more common these days, uh, but in reality, it's, it's been around for quite a while now. I remember going back a couple decades to date myself, I would go shopping in the supermarket and they would ask me for my zip code. And the reason that they were doing that is that they were creating basically a GIS behind the scenes. They wanted to know where their customers were coming from where different people bought different things. Um, and that would allow them to, I don't know, market differently or stock the shelves differently. So I think the transition that we've seen, and we can talk a little bit more later, mm-hmm. is what used to be kind of behind the scenes, only accessible to certain people, is now something that we all really have access to and most of us use on an everyday basis. No. You said that you dated yourself, but you didn't give us a time when that occurred. So you haven't quite dated yourself yet. So what are we talking about? Early 90s here? So <laughs> I've been in the field for about 20 years. Okay. I'd say kind of along with the, you know, the rise of the internet and, and more recently mobile phones and other devices has right. really tracked. The field of GIS traditionally is, is dated back, I'd say, at least about 50 years now. Um, but along with kind of advancements in hardware and software and other things, it moved from originally a field like a lot of things related to computing where you needed uh, huge rooms full of hardware and only very specialized people could work with this and, and consume the output. As we fast forward through the years, say a couple decades ago, things were becoming a little bit more accessible. And now with phones, apps, uh, tablets, things like that, professionals in the field can be working with data, can be collecting data, doing analysis on the fly out in the field, and citizens can have access and and really participate um, in a lot of ways as well. And that really speaks to the evolution of mapping, I guess, not only here in the city, but across the country, right? Yep. Yeah, I think, you know, a few things that come to mind 
the availability of data has in, increased so much. Mm-hmm. Um, people have the the ability to kind of report their own incidents. In, in the city here in New York, we have a, a 311 system where people can call in reports of different you know conditions, a, a pothole in a street or, or some other condition, and that um, can be geocoded, we call it. They will take a location, somebody's address, the intersection that they're they're talking about, and so we can put that on a map and help direct resources to help fix that problem. Um, but people through other social media platforms and such can really participate in, in creating their own data. We talked about how the technology has, has improved, um, and, and I think that's, um, that's really key to, to understanding how widespread GIS is now. That's exciting to see how much the field has evolved and mm-hmm. so quickly uh, to the point now where you know your average New Yorker is really providing such valuable information um, to you as an emergency manager and a GIS specialist that we can ultimately use to help people during times of emergency. So can you tell us a little bit more about the types of maps you produce and how do you use those maps? Sure. So maybe we'll use as context uh, mapping and planning for coastal storms and hurricanes. As in, we're into August in, in New York City in this area. We're into what we consider our hurricane season now and for the next few months. Mm-hmm. Um, we will use maps in our office here to help us understand the risks that New Yorkers face and that the infrastructure that we rely on face. So that might be, for example, we have data sets of various types of critical facilities. So the hospitals, nursing homes, um, other healthcare facilities, public safety facilities, schools, things that are important that, that New Yorkers rely on, knowing where those things are in relation to, let's say, potential storm surge from a hurricane that mm-hmm. might hit New York City will allow us to plan better uh, to, to make those facilities maybe more resilient um, when it comes to people uh, understanding which New Yorkers might be more at risk from a certain hazard. We have a, a an application called the Hurricane Zone Finder, which is accessible to all New Yorkers all year round. And this is at its core, really a simple GIS. You can go on um, the nyc.gov website and take a look any day of the year, find out which hurricane evacuation zone you are in, find out where your nearest evacuation center would be in the event of a storm. Mm -hmm. And really that's a system that has a couple of basic components. We have our hurricane evacuation zones on the map. We have dots representing evacuation centers and similar to Google or other um, other platforms, you can punch in your address and it will tell you what zone you're in. You can then get directions to the nearest evacuation center. And I think that's an example for the public where we really want to use GIS and the data that we have available to us to encourage people to prepare in advance. And that's really an important thing. We here refer to Kind of what we would do on blue sky days. It's our way of referring to when when there's not an emergency happening, um, and those are really the best times to kind of make yourself aware of what hazards might impact you and what resources you have um, to help yourself, your family, and your friends should an emergency happen. And that website is nyc.gov/knowyourzone. And I like the fact that you kind of broke it down for 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 me. And for our listeners, because uh, mapping and GIS, you think of it as uh, kind of a difficult subject to understand. But in your everyday life here in New York City, you can go on the website and find out whether or not you live 
in a hurricane evacuation zone. Simple. And that's what GIS is. Simple, basic mapping. And I like that you touched on situational awareness uh, because I think people think about mapping just as using it for huge hazards, but that's not the case. You could just use this to gain information that can help you make decisions, right? Yep. And, and we use it here at New York City Emergency Management every day, really. Situational awareness is one of our favorite terms in the <laughs> business, really just referring to having an understanding mm -hmm. of the things around an emergency. So right. like you say, we often think of the biggest emergencies. For us, our office helps respond to relatively smaller emergencies or more localized emergencies on a daily basis. So a water main breaks, there's a fire, we have residents impacted. The folks out in the field can see what's going on immediately in front of them, but mm -hmm. they may not as easily know that there is a school or some other facility one block over that could be impacted. And it's, it's our job here to help coordinate resources to, to help mitigate the effects of those emergencies. So we, on a daily basis, provide relatively basic maps and, and tables of data to the folks on our operations team who go out and help support this response so they can know at a quick glance at a PDF or a piece of paper or a screen, okay, there are these certain types of buildings nearby. There are certain, there's a subway underneath us. There's other infrastructure nearby, you know, that maybe the police or fire department has a handle on the emergency in front of them, but this type of data and having access to it allows us to start to think, okay, what other effects might there be when the sun comes up tomorrow morning and we want New Yorkers to be able to go about their business as, as easily as possible and as normal way as possible what other things might we have to work on? And having that data really helps us do that. Mm -hmm. That's really valuable information for our, our responders to have at their fingertip. We often say, when we hear this phrase a lot in the emergency management world, that every response starts with a map. But GIS is not only just about mapping. There's a lot of other components that go into it as well. Uh, can you talk a little bit about you know, GIS beyond just the concept of mapping? Sure. Um, I've mentioned data a few times, mm -hmm. and I think I always like to start with that for a reason. Um, the best GIS in the world, whether you have the best software or the best looking map, really doesn't mean much if the data that is on there is not good. We go back to our, our Google Maps example. If I'm trying to find, you know, a great slice of pizza. <laughs> you love uh, this pizza, huh? I love, I'm thinking about <laughs> pizza. It's, it's, you know, getting closer to lunchtime. Um, <laughs> And I search for directions to a place and I get the directions and I get there, but the business that's on the map has moved to another location right. or they've closed. Now I'm there and I'm hungry because- the, Hangry the, even. Hangry. I'm <laughs> well familiar with that. Um, the, the GIS has worked. It showed me the map. It showed me how to get from A to B. But right. when I got there, what I was expecting to be there was not there because mm. the data set of restaurants, let's say, was not- up to date. So that's, we spend a lot of time here, kind of the, the less glamorous behind the scenes work of making sure we have good data at the ready. JS is also hardware and software that, that we need to run these systems to produce maps and applications more and more these days, things are moving to the cloud. Um, so it, it, you know, it looks more like a lot of the, the current technology that's out there. Um, GIS is always going to involve, I believe, the people component. Mm -hmm. So folks to actually look at the data, the maps, et cetera, that the GIS is producing and try and make smart decisions with that information. 
Um, and at the end of the day, I think it's really all about analyzing the data, the map, analyzing and using the information that's out there. Um, because just as if, uh, the example, if I, if I'm trying to go somewhere and the data about what is in that location is out of date, um, you know, will make it more difficult for me to achieve my objective. Right. Um, it's, it's really all about in our business, allowing people in, in the right positions to make smart decisions based on the information that they have. GIS is this really fast growing field. And you can just see all of these examples of how you know, the use has skyrocketed, not only among emergency managers and first responders, but also among members of the public who now have access to this type of data through apps um, and through Google Maps and, and all these things that they interact with on a daily basis. And just like GIS is a fast growing field, one of the other areas that's grown a lot um, that we pay attention to in the emergency management field is is social media. And mm -hmm. as we've seen so many more people um, start to use social media in their daily lives, I think in the emergency management profession, um, we've tried to to do a lot more to communicate with them and to figure out what that information means to us and how we can we can use people's presence on social media um, as as a way to help during emergencies, right. um, whether it's from preparedness or on the response side. So, when we look at social media, things like Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat, and, and the list goes on, how can people use maps as a resiliency tool? I think, you know, the, the Hurricane Zone Finder that we talked about mm -hmm. is a great example, um, and that's just one of many, but it, it is something that, it's a map that's out there that allows folks to know and plan, let's say in this case, for hurricanes. So right. if I'm a New Yorker that happens to live near the coast, and I can look at a map and and we say a picture is worth a thousand words type of thing and understand that I face a heightened risk from storm surge and, and threats from coastal storms that can allow me to become better prepared, make choices to have supplies on hand or make a, a plan with my family and friends about where I might go if I had to leave my home for, for a little while. Um, I think these social media platforms also allow those of us who work in the field to have access to, to data that is being collected by citizens in real time. Folks, now every time there is an emergency on all these platforms, we will see photos, videos, tweets, reports. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a, there's a lot of data out there, which is a challenge to figure out how to use it. And that's part of where the field is evolving. But I think as well, you know, you mentioned earlier in the, in the situation report segment, at the Concept 3D uh, program mm -hmm. to, to uh, provide maps for safe routes on campuses. I could imagine the people putting that together would go out on a campus maybe and look at the lighting and, and the path network and all that, but conditions can change rapidly. Maybe some light bulbs are out, for example, something as simple as that. Right. And citizens could give feedback to the mm -hmm. people running uh, the program to say, okay, this is, you know, for this week until this is fixed, this is the less safe route because there's something wrong with the lighting or there's you know, some other condition that, that makes it less desirable to use that route. Um, and I think if you spin that up to any type of emergency, large or small, um, that, that's something that, that we will come to rely on more and more because we can't, you know, we do not have thousands of people to go out, take photos, report on these conditions, get there exactly when the emergency might be occurring. Um, but citizens who are there and have these resources will be able to to provide that information that we can use. And it's something that I think of ways when you talk about that and how they've mm -hmm. kind of mastered uh, having people interact um, where, you know, people can give information about if there is a pothole, 
uh, or in a, a, an emergency that may cause delays or a collision or accident. And so the interaction between people and the GIS system um, really adds to its utility. And go ahead, Nan, sorry. I, I think it's a really exciting, exciting time, you know, for, for people, just everyday users, whether you're on, on Twitter or Instagram mm -hmm. or Facebook, um, to share information that is actually going to contribute in a very meaningful way um, to both emergency response and, and this concept of situational awareness that you've been talking about. But just to know that anybody um, using their regular platforms of communication can now reach government officials and emergency managers in real time with information that we find to be critical and can use to make more informed decisions. So it's such an empowering role um, for, for everyday New Yorkers and tourists and, and everyone in between. And, and really, I'd say the more people that, that do that and provide that type of data, the more valuable it is. It presents its own challenge. We will refer to kind of taking the equivalent of drinking out of a fire hose, if you imagine that. <laughs> it would be a difficult concept um, because there's so much data out there. But right. really in those, especially in the early moments after an emergency, and I believe Waze does a similar thing. One person reports an accident mm -hmm. and it might show up, but the more and more people that report that same accident or that same traffic jam, kind of the logo gets bigger on the map. Right. And so we in the field can have a sense if a lot of people report something in the same area, we have a higher confidence or can place a higher priority on going to respond to that. And so I think that's a, that is important and, and New Yorkers and others can, can feel definitely that they can play a role in, in helping provide information um, to help us help make New York safer. Yeah. And not only just New York City, I mean, anyone, anywhere, whether yeah. you're in a different part of this country, different part of the world, and you're listening to us in the Caribbean, Africa, wherever, you know, you can have the opportunity um, to interact and use the technology and the resources uh, to play a role as well. And so we've talked about kind of, the, we looked at the history of GIS. We looked at where we are now uh, and we discussed how technology is continuing uh, to improve and develop. And we talked about social media. So where do you see GIS going in the future? I think it will be even more accessible to more people in the future. I think like a lot of other things, I imagine it mostly living in the cloud and being accessed and used by people more and more beyond the core profession. I mm -hmm. think that's one of the things that those of us who work in the field have noted that, you know, putting together, say, a, a map online like the Hurricane Zone Finder is becoming something that's that, that folks who are not uh, as as don't have the same specialty training are more and more able to do. So even though I have some years of training in the field, I can now do things that it used to take someone who knew all about coding uh, to put together and the tools are out there for, for me to, um, to do that type of thing myself more. Um, we kind of talked about self-help GIS. So, right. And we've seen in the past during Hurricane Sandy, I think is one example we had citizens or other folks who are kind of standing up their own maps to try and amplify messages that we were putting out or or represent data about things that was going on and were going on in their communities. So you've been in GIS for a long time. What is your favorite map or your favorite GIS project that you've produced or worked on? 
I would say for me, it would be the development of the hurricane evacuation zones. I'm kind of a weather geek. <laughs> um, and so I like thinking about and, and learning about these things. It's a, a balance that a lot of us in the profession know. We, we plan and prepare for events that we hope will never happen. Um, but there is, is, is something that I like about just kind of helping understand the hazard. And so going back about six years now, um, New York City released updated hurricane evacuation zones. And my role was helping look at the model data about mm -hmm. where storm surge might go in the city and translating that into the map that folks would see today if they go on the hurricane zone finder or they look at some of our preparedness materials for coastal storms. Um, I think that's kind of the thing that I enjoyed most and most proud of. So that was a, that was a long project that began six years ago. Can you give our listeners a sort of behind the scenes look at what exactly did it entail for you being able to to pull together those zones and and what was that process like and why was it so gratifying for you sure so it starts in this particular case folks at the national hurricane center who are the real the scientists and the experts behind understanding coastal storms will produce some data that it's called the slosh model for those who are who are interested in, in getting in the weeds um that will show their estimation of where storm surge, so where the water that's being pushed ashore by a hurricane might go. Mm -hmm. But what they don't take into account just because of how their modeling works and the fact that they're doing this for everybody from Texas up to Maine, they don't know about all the little features of New York City, the, the kind of details of our landscape, the impact that buildings would have. Um, and so what you get is a map that would if we put it out there for folks, it would be really hard to understand. There'd be all these different colors all over the place. They'd be going through the middle of buildings. Um, and so at the end of the day, for us, it was really going block by block throughout the entire city to really look at this information and try and make smart decisions about, okay, this block needs to be in zone one. This block needs to be in zone two. How do we map this out so we don't incorporate more people than necessary, but that we're sure as, as we can be that if a certain type of hurricane hits and we feel that a, a certain area has to be evacuated, that we will, we will capture the correct number of people in the correct locations. Meticulous process. It is. Yes. Yeah. And, and. But incredibly important. Yeah. <laughs> we thank you for that. And, and as a result of that long process, now New Yorkers can have a very, very easily understandable map. Uh, to figure out what zone they live in and what their risk is for for coastal storms. So thanks to you and the team for for pulling that together and, and working and sifting through all of that data uh, to come up with these updated hurricane evacuation zones. Josh, this is a great conversation that we're having. So I have one final question for you here. What would you tell your younger self about GIS and getting into the field? Not just your younger self, anyone who's listening to a, an emergency management podcast who might actually <laughs> be interested in, in getting into the field or just GIS in general, what advice do you have for them? Uh, I mean, I would tell my younger self that you're, you're making the right move going into GIS. And I would, I would encourage anybody out there who's, who's thinking about that to do the same. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased. 
That's okay. Um, <laughs> I do think it's it's becoming more accessible field. It is also challenging as more and more technology is available at our fingertips. The number of things that we have to know and learn keeps expanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that can be a great thing because it keeps us challenged, keeps us on our toes, needing to learn new things. I think also the great thing about GIS and geography in general, uh, for those listening out there, is it really is tied into almost every aspect, profession, and field of our lives today. And so I found, for example, at the beginning of my career, I was not working in emergency management. I was working in a GIS firm, uh, you know, working with communities to, to help work on planning projects and things like that. Um, when I came into emergency management GIS, I really found something that was inspiring because it allows me to feel like I'm helping make a difference uh, a positive difference, hopefully, in the lives of of the people in, of New York where I live, um, and I think that's maybe the one thing that I would say is that whether it is emergency management that you're interested in, and that's hopefully folks listening to us today, mm-hmm. um, but whether it is a- any number of other fields, you know, the medical profession, economics, uh, the marketing, whatever it might be, everybody is using GIS. Um, and, and, and I think it's a, it's a great field and a great opportunity. Yeah. I would say to our younger listeners, if you're looking for an exciting opportunity in a fast growing field, certainly consider GIS. Uh, this has been very enlightening, um, in helping to explain a lot about what you and your team does here at New York city emergency management. So thank you for that, Josh. And now it is going to be rapid response time. And if you're a first time listener, it is simple. Omar and I are going to ask some questions, and Josh is going to give the first answer that comes to mind. It's time for Prep Talk Rapid Response. All right, let's get into it. Rapid Response, our first question. Uh, This is one that we ask all of our guests. What is one emergency item you cannot live without? I'm going to say my water bottle. For those who know me, I never go anywhere without it. I have it next to me now. On the train at home, I want to say water. I want to say that the water bottle or water is probably our p- most popular answer, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and it was an easy guess for Josh. Easy, <laughs> if you've ever been to our office or seen him, you've seen the water bottle. Yes. <laughs> All right, Josh. What are your hobbies? My hobbies, I will say, skiing and tracking and listening to airplanes that's a little more unusual no 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 no. (laughs) it's not because interestingly enough like i'm always fascinated by when the airplanes fly by and and i'm like oh my gosh this is just fascinating how these big pieces of metal uh (laughs) can just fly in the air and take you from destination to destination so I'm totally there with you. I might be trivializing it a little bit, but <laughs> and I use a GIS to do at least part of that. There are apps these days that allow me to look at my phone mm-hmm. and see all the planes overhead, what type of plane it is, where right. they're coming from, where they're going to. And so in New York, we're, we're, I guess, in my case, I think lucky enough to have three major airports plus a few smaller ones right around us. So there are always tons of planes in the sky. So it's uh, it's an interesting interesting look maybe one day at lunch we can go outside and just stare at planes <laughs> absolutely we have the laguardia approach right over our heads there here you in go. Our office. 
So what is your favorite disaster theme movie? So I have to say, I don't watch disaster movies. I think really? maybe in part because kind of disaster work, disaster preparedness is my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, I skew more towards comedies, kind of use movies as a little way to relax. Um, so certainly not disaster movies. I think of uh, Spinal Tap and Blues Brothers. Okay. The, the ones that I could think of, there are a lot of car crashes in Blues Brothers. I don't <laughs> think that quite counts as a disaster movie. But All right. So what's currently on your playlist? I have to admit, I don't actually have a playlist. I'm really <laughs> flunking the questions <laughs> no, here. it's all good. I, I, uh, yeah, I'm a little, although I use tech every day, I'm sort of a little bit behind the curve uh, compared to most people, I would say. But generally in terms of music, lately I've been revisiting um, some music from the 90s, from my younger days, some drum and bass, house, um, folks like Diesel Boy and LTJ Bookham. I don't know how many of our listeners would know those, but if you're interested in some good old school beats, go to YouTube or any other platform and take a listen. (laughs) (laughs) I have one that we were actually talking about this before we came on. Um, so I'm going to add it to the rapid response question. Breakfast. What does your breakfast look like? My breakfast looks like three hard boiled eggs, a couple of chicken sausages and oatmeal. And of course, a nice can of cold brew coffee. <laughs> and I thought you were going in a different direction with that cold brew. <laughs> well, that's for later in the day. That's, right. later in the day. that's after work. Right. Um, and that's breakfast during the week. You mentioned breakfast on weekends. How is that a little different from your breakfast during the week? Oh, it's completely, totally different. Usually I don't have the sausage. (laughs) (laughs) What can I say? Just a little less filling. I find something that works and I stick with it. There you go. (laughs) Sounds good to me. It's a good quality. All right. Sum up the work you do in one word. I think I will say rewarding. Kind of touched on that. I, I... feel like I get to work in a field that inspires me. I love to look at the world in a, in a spatial way um, and finding a way in emergency management to use that to, to help New Yorkers and help other folks, um, I think is, is really satisfying. I think the field in general does tend to be rewarding for most folks. Somebody told me earlier in my career who I worked with said that if you walk into a room full of GIS professionals, you're never going to see a bunch of people frowning. (laughs) And I think for at least over 20 years for me, that's definitely been the case. Well said. Thank you very much for being on the show with us. Uh, An enlightening conversation. Uh, I think just for you to be able to talk about how people use GIS Uh, in their day-to-day lives really uh, helps people understand how much um, this does impact them. So we thank you very much for being here. For our listeners, if you want to learn more, nyc.gov slash emergency management for the website, uh, nyc.gov slash knowyourzone for the hurricane finder. Uh, And thank you for joining us. That's it for today. Nancy, anything else you want to add? Thanks, Josh, for sharing your experience. And, you know, we learned a lot about GIS today, and I'm sure our listeners are very appreciative for your time. And I know we are here as well. That's this episode of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared.